with me to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. You know, every time we start a new chapter, it's just... I, 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 I love these passages so much. And, you know, you can say it in any book, really. But what blows me away is how the Spirit of the Lord is on Stephen. You remember... A couple years prior to this moment, he was just an average Joe. You know, disrespect to him, you know, but and no disrespect to the Lord and the work that the Lord has done in his life. But, you know, he was just an average Joe. And, you know, prior to this moment, several years prior to this moment, he heard, you know, somebody speak the gospel. So he heard something about Christians. He heard something about Jesus Christ and he believed. And, you know, from that moment of belief, you know, he's still an average Joe, per se, in this fellowship of saints. But don't forget how the disciples, the disciples in chapter 6, verse 2, they're the ones who said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And then they say, choose, seek out from among you seven men, seek out from among you seven men. And this is the birth of ministry, how it happens inside of a church. And it's not just, you know, choose any Joe Schmo. It's to say there are certain attributes that you have to look for. Paul writes about this to uh, Timothy and Titus, what to look for in ministry. The men and the women who are able to serve. And women can serve as deacons. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, when Paul starts to talk about bishops and all these positions in a church, it's not pride. It's not, you know, how, you know, in, in the world, in a carnal sense, you know, how someone will get promoted. They'll go from, you know, position A to position B, and then they'll put like a thing on their desk. They'll put a big sign on their office saying, you know, I'm the chief of this or I'm the head of this. And you see a lot of pride and arrogance. And you also see that in a church. When Paul says, don't use young people for certain, you know, don't, don't take this uh, young person, don't take a, a novice. And so you see these young people get into positions of authority in the church. And what do they do? They kind of, uh, you know, they like uh, go into peacock mode, you know, they puff out their chest and they, you know, show all their things. And it's like, look how awesome I am. But it has nothing to do with that. The attributes of holiness are not carnal. The attributes of holiness are... Humility. And then on top of that, there are other attributes, such as the case with Stephen. I have no idea who Stephen was, his BC days, his before Christ days. I don't know if he was a hardcore heathen. I don't know if he was just an average Joe and, you know, living the, you know, middle class life. I don't even know how old he is. But I can't wait to meet him because I have fallen in love with this man so much. The first martyr. In accordance with the Christian faith. The first martyr in accordance to the way. And don't forget that he was in chapter 6 verse 3. Stephen had a good reputation. Which translates as having a good witness. So many times in church today we kind of lose sight of a witness. You know in the pride of life you, know, you might have beef with somebody. And you say you know what let's go to the parking lot. Let's take this outside. It's like, whoa, 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 what, what, what kind of a witness is that? Oh, I don't like this person, they're such a, and then fill in the blank. 
And it's like, whoa, what, a, what, what happened to a witness? Or certain behaviors. Oh yeah, there's this guy, he's in church, but he beats on his wife. I see the wife come into church and she's got a, you know, a sprained arm. I see the wife come to church and she's got, you know, a shiner on her eye. And it's like, whoa, what, what's happening? Good reputation. Or a guy who's on wife number three, wife number four. This is, these are things that are not the case with Stephen. Stephen is beautiful. Beautiful. I don't know what he looked like. You know, you might, you know if we were to try, go back in time and see him, I don't know if, you know, what he looked like. But I don't care what he looked like. He's like a beautiful, beautiful man. It blows me away sometimes when I think about the things that parents instill in their kids. You know, there's a, a big day for little cute communists. It's called Halloween. They come and they knock on your door looking for freebies. And they knock on the door and you open the door and you see like little Iron Man, you know? Little Superman. You know, and you see these characters and they're like, yeah, I want to be like this. I watched this movie, I want to be like this. I watched, you know, you see the little kid come in and he's painted all green. I want to be like the Hulk, he's so buff and you know, he fights and he's so awesome. It's like, wow, well, you know, think about all the time that whatever influence this little child had. You know, what's, what's in this little kid's heart, in his mind to say, I want to be like Superman. I want to be like the Hulk. I want to be like Spider-Man and climb on the walls. I want to do all these things. And I see a lot of innocence in the kids. But then I look to the parents, you know, who are like, you know, they're just out yucking it up. You look to the parents and what's happening? A two-hour movie? A four-hour, maybe they watch, you know, part one, part two. And you see these kids. But who in their homes opens up the Bible and says, Look, little one. Look at these attributes of Stephen. Look at these attributes of all these beautiful people in Holy Scripture. Where a young mind can start to hear these things and say, whoa, this is beautiful. I want to be like Stephen. I want to be like Ruth. I want to be like Deborah. And it's like, whoa, it blows me away so much. This beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Stephen. He has a good reputation in chapter 6, verse 3. It's he full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But then if you look at chapter 6, verse 8, there's some little additives there. Full of faith and power. And then in verse 10 of the previous chapter of chapter 6, these accusers are unable to resist the wisdom, wisdom and the spirit which he spoke. Because he wasn't, he didn't keep quiet. He did not keep quiet. In chapter 6, verse 13, what do they start to do? They start to make up lies. They made up stories. We heard Stephen say this. We heard Stephen say that. We heard Stephen say this and that. And it's like, you know, he has all these accusers. All these accusers. Now, you don't have to turn there, but, you know, we read this a little bit last week. In Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew chapter 10, 
The Lord is the one who says in chapter 10, verse 16, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. I think this is so powerful what the Lord does with his people, with his servants, with his friends, with you and with me. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. You might read that and be like, that is so mean to do. How, how could you take a, 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 a sheep and send them out among wolves? It's a death trap. But these sheep are not alone. These sheep are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, what the Lord is about to teach us. And he says, when you go out as sheep in the midst of wolves, he says, therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. This is what's happening to Stephen in verse 17. He's being delivered up to, to, to uh, councils, the council of the Sanhedrin. Our Lord teaches in chapter 10, verse 18 of Matthew. He says, you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry. Do not worry. I think that is so beautiful. Because, you know, you might be in a situation where you're delivered up to councils. You say, like, come on, we're in America. What are you talking about? They're going to deliver me up. Well, it's happening in Canada. Pastors who have to go before committees to give an account for what they teach. And if it's considered hate speech, they get thrown in jail. In Canada, Western society, Western culture. But look at the persecuted church in China, in Russia, in Arab countries, in Vietnam, brought before the councils. Hey, are you really teaching like this? You're a pastor. Did you really say this? You teach the Bible to women. Did you really say this? I have to admit, in the carnal sense, there's that scary aspect of it. Especially when you have counted the cost. Especially when you know, wow, they cut off that pastor's head and now it's my turn to give an account. Wow, they beat up that female teacher. The women's leader. Wow, they beat up that youth group leader. Now it's my turn to give an account. These are things that are happening in Asian countries, Arab countries, Russia even Western cultures. There's that scary aspect of it, like, okay, you've counted the cost, and now it's time to give an account. And then the Lord teaches, but when they deliver you up, do not worry. Do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. There's no rehearsing of what you should say. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. I think this is so incredibly powerful, indicative of the Holy Spirit inside of a person, inside of the temple of a body. Remember, our temples belong to the Lord. This body belongs to the Lord. Your temple belongs to the Lord. Or you could say, no, no, my temple belongs to me. You could say that. I don't, I don't advocate that. I don't recommend that. I recommend that you be the one to say your body belongs to the Lord. 
your temple is no longer your temple. It is his temple. Even in the face of persecution, he says in verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death. Brother will deliver brother to death. It's not not saying your brother will deliver you to go to jail. Your brother will deliver you to go to prison. He straight up says brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. It's endurance of the saints. Now, in Acts chapter 7, we're going to see this very promise that the Lord has in Matthew 10. We're going to see it in full effect. And it is so wonderfully beautiful. So he has these accusers, Brother Stephen. Beautiful Brother Stephen. I wonder who his wife was if he was married. Wow, what a prize that this woman has in Stephen. I wonder who his parents were. What a prize to look at his son and be like, wow, this is my beautiful son. What a prize is, you know, the mother and father-in-law to say like, wow, my beautiful daughter, all, you know, his, her husband is like is Stephen. So these attributes, you know, you see these young kids and, you know, you're driving down the street and you see them. You see the little Hulk, the little Superman, the little whatever, the little Iron Man. They got their plastic thing on their face. Wow, it looks like Iron Man. And you see these little kids, little communists going to the, to the neighborhood. They want their freebies, you know, and it blows me away because who is the one who will say, instead of watching a two-hour movie, who is the one that will open up scripture and say, hey, come here, baby girl. Hey, come here, my son. Let me teach you these things. And the benefit isn't just for, I mean, the benefit is for that little vessel, but then they're going to grow up. He's going to have a wife. She's going to have a husband. They're going to have kids. And you see, this seed goes on from generation. Just as you see, like from Genesis, you see all these beautiful attributes of godly people. And this seed of righteousness can continue on in our generation today for that next generation of righteousness. Until he comes, until the Lord comes. That's what the Lord teaches us. Occupy until I come. He's the one who teaches that. Be the salt, be the light. And so now it's Stephen's turn to give an account. You know, keep in mind, considering what they did to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here he is before that same council. He knows, okay, this could cost me my life. Then the high priest in Acts chapter 7 verse 1. Then the high priest said, are these things so? Remember, all these accusers, they kept making up lies in chapter 6, verse 13. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against the holy place and the law. They make things up. Fake accusers. This person said this. What what about in your life? When you make a stand for the Lord Jesus Christ and people don't like it, 
People don't like the truth that is in you. People don't like the spirit that is in you. And they start to say, oh, he said this. Oh, she said that. And now the high priest is saying to Stephen, are these things so? And now these words come out of his mouth. The outpouring of his heart. And remember, he's full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom and faith and power. And he has a good reputation. I love, you know, when pe- people like this in my life, when they speak, I like, you know, I got a busy schedule. But when people like this speak, I, it's like the little voice in my mind. Hey, stop what you're doing. Pay attention to this man. Pay attention to this woman because what they're going to speak, it's beautiful what they're going to speak. You see the edification in the body of Christ. Have you ever, you know, somebody says, hey, can I talk with you? There's something about this that I don't like in your life. And, I, you know, iron sharpens iron. I want to correct you. And you're like, man, you're on wife number three. And you're not just on wife number three. I hear you talk. I've had coffee with you before. I see you look at all these women. I hear you cuss. I hear your language. I don't want to hear it. People in your life who are like Stephen. Look at these words that Stephen starts to utter. In verse 2, and he said, brethren and fathers. Remember his audience. This audience is the high priest, the elders, the scribes, and the council of the Sanhedrin. These are people who said of our Lord Jesus Christ, crucify him. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody before who threatens you? And it's like, okay, they're just words, no big deal. But then have you ever talked to somebody before who threatens you, but they have a history of, you know, like violence and, you know, they have a history of, you know, bad things? Stephen, he doesn't care. He's honoring the Lord. Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran. You know what's so powerful about what he's doing? Say, for example, if everyone here today, if we're among the learned class, I mean, let's go back in time and say we're of the religious establishment, the religious elite. We're educated. We have the scrolls. We have these things. We're doing what the law teaches. And, you know, I have to say we're not we're we're doing it for, you know, being puffed up. There's such a thing as the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. And we're behaving in accordance with the letter of the law as hypocrites. For example, you know, I'm giving a little example. And then this guy comes in before our council. And the high priest says, hey, Stephen, are these things so, these accusations that we hear against you? And then he starts to speak and he starts to teach these things. He's, and we look at each other like, he didn't go to school with me. Did he go to school with you? And we're like, no, I'm, I don't even know this guy. His family is not of the learned class, not of the elite. Who is this guy? 
You see, he's starting to speak truth that aligns with the Holy Scripture. And then at the same time, it's like how what an affront that is to the pride of his audience. Who is this guy? Where's where's his degrees? Where's his access to the scrolls? How does he know these things that are written in the ancient texts? I mean, back in these, I mean, like we're spoiled today because we, we have access to ancient texts on our phones. We have access to ancient texts right here in the pages before us. But here back then, access to the ancient scrolls, you would have to go and they were old. You'd have to be very gentle in rolling the scrolls out and start to read these things, these ancient texts. And here this guy Stephen is, uh, he's trying to teach us. Think about what affront that is to the pride of these people. But remember, he's indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's indwelt with the very one who has first-hand knowledge, first-hand experience of Abraham. You see what I mean? You see his intimacy that he has with the Lord? The spirit that's inside of him? Is the same spirit that was right there. It's the first hand account. You know what's interesting about this? When you read the actual account in the Old Testament in Genesis 12. God starts speaking to Abraham. But what's written here in verse 2 of Acts 7. Stephen says it was before he dwelt in Haran. Which means what we read in Genesis 12. The relationship that Abraham had with the Lord and the Lord had with Abraham was prior to the moment in Genesis 12. You start to see like Stephen is illuminating scripture. I think that is so incredibly powerful. The beauty of intimacy with the Lord. The creator of all things teaches you. Teaches you and pours into your vessel. Pours into you and teaches you these things. In verse 3, he continues and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives. He's saying, Hey, leave your family. Leave your kin, is how it translates. Start fresh, start anew. This is a huge message to young people. I, I could say young people, but I could also say old people. 40-year-olds who still live at home with mommy and daddy. They get married and then they say, oh, you know what? Uh, you know, I, I, need some, I, I need help with rent, so I'm going to shack up with mommy and daddy. Bring my wife here and, you know, we're going to have babies. And it's like you have a little family growing in the basement of mommy and daddy's house. You say, whoa, that's so mean. How can you say that? And then these young people, they say, well, you know, I'm just going to stay here for six months till I can afford, you know, a down payment. I'm going to stay here for a year till I can, you know, afford a down payment. And then 10 years later, they're still at home, 50-year-old. You got to cut the umbilical cord. Leave mommy and daddy. 
and cleave to your wife, a wife to her husband, the husband to his wife. That's what I love so much about this account in the Old Testament in Genesis 12. Get out of your country. This is the Lord speaking to Abraham. Get out of your country and from your relatives. He's not just saying, leave mommy and daddy. He's saying, leave mommy and daddy. Leave your aunts, leave your uncles, leave them all. And also, leave your country. You know how scary that is? The unknown, the the quote unknown, the so-called unknown. I say so-called unknown. Because it's unknown to you and me, but it's known by our Lord. A known destination, a known journey. The question is, do I trust him? Do you trust him? Ah, it's, you know, I don't like how you say it that way. It's not that easy. You're right. It's more easy. Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. It's unknown to Abraham. And the Lord is saying, Abraham, leave what you know. Step into the unknown. I know what it is. I know what's going to happen. But Abraham, I'm going to take care of you. I'm doing something. I'm at work. Consider the faith of Abraham to hear this voice and respond to this voice and trust in this voice. That's faith. Remember how we're told it was accounted unto Abraham as righteousness because of his faith. And not just his faith, but his trust in the Lord. What a hardcore message for you and for me. It's one thing to have faith. It's another thing entirely to have trust. Not in man, but in the man Christ Jesus. Capital M, the man Christ Jesus. Because there's going to be times in your life where he says, You know what? I want you to go from point A to point B. And if you come to church and it's just like, okay, I'm going to get my hour in. I'm going to get my two hours in. And while the guy is talking, you know, I'm just going to be on my phone, check the news, check the sports score, check all these things. No big deal. Okay, it's done. I'm out of here. See you next week. If a good game's not on. But no, you know, all of a sudden you start to listen. You know, you, 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 you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, your faith grows. And then all of a sudden you, you download the Bible app, you know, and then you start reading the Bible. And then you're like, wow, you know, the, the app, I don't like the app, so I'm going to go to the bookstore and buy a book. And you buy a book and then all of a sudden you start reading and your heart changes, your mind changes. And then your faith grows. But then on top of faith growing, there's a great challenge for all of us. A great, great, great and beautiful challenge. And the question is this. Do you trust in the Lord? Because what happens if the Lord says, hey, I want you to go from point A 
to point B and you have no idea where point B is? Or what if point B, what you know of point B is crazy town? Can you imagine Moses? When Moses takes his sandals off and the Lord says, Hey Moses, I want you to go from point A to point B. Or he says, I want you to go from right here at this bush and I want you to go from point A to point B, which is back to Egypt. That's how the Lord works. Faith in the Lord is a beautiful thing. Trust in the Lord. That's a, a little bit more difficult to the carnal. That's what's so beautiful about falling in love with the Lord over and over, more and more, deeper and deeper. This is Stephen. Imagine Stephen, I mean, say we're this the religious elite, the, the establishment. We're the religious establishment, and all of a sudden, who is this guy? Where's his degrees? What in the world? How does he know these things? What's his family lineage? Oh, I know his brother, but you know, only in passing, he works at the store. His uncles are fishermen. I mean, I don't know, but it's not captured in scripture. But Stephen is educating the learned class, the so-called learned class. In verse 4 of chapter 7 in Acts, he says, Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him. Notice the capital H here. God is the one directing Abraham. Stephen is giving an account of these ancient texts, these ancient truths. And the Spirit is speaking through him. What we read in Matthew 10, when the Lord, the promise of the Lord, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. You're not going to speak. The Holy Spirit will be speaking. And you see it right here, what Brother Stephen is doing. A firsthand account. You say, what do you mean a firsthand account? There's centuries that are in between here and Genesis. Millennia that are here between Genesis and here. I'm talking about the firsthand account from the Holy Spirit. Who was there from the beginning? Who was there when the world began? And the religious establishment each time a word, each time an enunciation comes out of his mouth, it's like a knife in their heart. God is directing Abraham here in this account of ancient texts. He moved him to this land in which you now dwell. He's giving them a history lesson. And God gave him no inheritance in it, no seed money, so to speak. No help. You see young kids like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to college, you know, University of, uh, you know, I'm going to go to wherever, Philadelphia. University of Florida. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go. Oh, you got a scholarship? No, no, no. Uh, but I got a rich uncle. He's paying for it. I got a rich aunt. She's paying for it. She's bankrolling me. 
Okay, that's cool. So they go out and get their education. They meet up with somebody. They get married. Oh, cool. You bought a house. Yeah, but you know what? I got some seed money. My rich uncle who paid for my education, now he's paying for the down payment of my house. And I'm not, you know, I'm not denigrating that. You know, families take care of families. I mean, me personally, if I can eject my personal opinion, I don't like that. I hate handouts. Government or people, I hate it. I mean, I know people want to be generous and help and all these things. I know there's that aspect. I just don't like what it does inside of me. I don't, I don't like that. I, I, I don't like it. That's just my comment. But I'm not denigrating it. But consider Abraham. Abraham. How the Lord says, get out of your country. Leave your relatives. Leave your family to a land that I will show you. And when they get to this area, he's like, oh, by the way, you're not, you don't have any inheritance in there. There's no inheritance for you over here. Not even enough to set his foot on is what, the, what Stephen is saying, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Have you ever talked to missionaries before? They come to you and they say, hey, you know, the Lord has called me to go to, you know, you know, X, Y, Z country. The Lord has called me. I've been praying. I've been seeking the Lord and the Lord wants me to go to, you know, wherever. The Lord wants me to go to Cuba. I've been praying, you know, and all these things. And it's the first thing I say, what in the world are you doing here? The Lord called you to Cuba. What, what, why are you here? Why am I looking at you face to face? We should be on, you know, FaceTime or something. While you're in Cuba and I'm here. Oh, I can't go unless, you know, you give me, you know, a couple thousand dollars. What do you mean? You can't go unless I pay you? And I'm not trying to say like, you know, to be stingy with money. But look at the model that the Lord is doing with Abraham. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your home, leave your relatives, leave mommy and daddy, leave your aunts, leave your uncles, leave them all to a land that I'm going to show you. Oh, by the way, you don't have any inheritance there. But I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to provide for you. And Abraham trusts in the Lord. That's some hardcore stuff. I say Abraham trusts in the Lord, but that glosses over the fact of actually trusting in the Lord to the extent of going into the unknown. Stepping into the unknown. And on top of that, look at verse 5. He continues. But even when Abraham had no child, he, capital H, God, promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. What in the world kind of faith is this? You know how huge this is? So the Lord says, Abraham, leave your country, leave mommy and daddy, leave your uncles, leave your grandparents, leave all these people. Cousins, leave what you know and come into a land that I'm going to show you. 
And then on top of that, you have no inheritance here. I'm going to bring you over here. And when I bring you over here, it's going to be your possession for you and your descendants after you. And he's childless. Come to find out, he has a wife who's barren. And the Lord is giving him these promises. What in the world kind of faith is that? What in the world kind of trust in that? I'll tell you, it's not of this world. But it's the kind of faith, it's the kind of trust that the Lord wants to develop inside of you and inside of me. And he wants to grow. This is so, it's wild. And even on top of that, the faith of Abraham in the Lord, the trust of Abraham in the Lord, and not only that, the obedience of Abraham. It's, it's taking the carnal mind, the carnal thoughts, the intellect, the logic, it's taking all of that and throwing it in the trash and trusting in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And remember, Brother Stephen indwelt with the Holy Spirit. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's educating the learned class about these things. Deep, deep, deep spiritual things. About faith and trust and obedience unto the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the religious elite, they're like, who in the world is this guy? He's not learned like we are. I didn't see him at university. But God spoke in this way in verse 6 that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. He's speaking about when Israel goes into Egyptian captivity where we're at in Wednesdays. You know, in our Bible studies on Wednesday, they just came out of Egyptian captivity and Moses just received the law from the Lord and Moses is coming down from the mountain to give the people of God the law, to give God's people his law. But what does he find? You know, we're going to study that more on Wednesday. What he finds when he comes down from the mountain. In verse 7, And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge, says God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave, then he gave him, the Lord, it says, then he, notice the capital H, then God gave him the covenant of the circumcision. It's one of the early laws before the Ten Commandments. This is the law that Moses almost broke when the Lord wanted to kill Moses. You say, what do you mean God wanted to kill Moses? Well, remember, the Lord was like, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. And Moses was like, okay, I'll go back to Egypt. It wasn't that easy. I mean, he said, you know, who do I tell the people you are? And the Lord told him more. So he goes to his wife. Hey, Zipporah, guess what? The Lord called me to go to Egypt. Are you on board? Yeah, you know, I'm on board. Do it. The Lord spoke to you. Go do it. And Moses is like, okay, I'm going to go. And what does Zipporah do? She says, Moses, stop right there in your tracks. 
You're breaking the law of God. You see a spousal intercession for her husband. A wife's intercession for her husband. Because Moses didn't circumcise his boys. And Zipporah was mad. Takes a little rock from the ground. Circumcised the boys. And threw the foreskin at his feet. And you say like, whoa, Zipporah is hardcore. Well, Moses is alive. Yeah, she's hardcore. But Moses is alive. And you see the wife's intercession for her husband. Zipporah's ministry. Then he gave him the covenant of the circumcision. This is the law that Moses almost broke. And he would have been dead if it wasn't for his beautiful wife. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised them on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs becoming envious sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom. Now, I don't want to lord over anybody's faith. Anybody's walk with the Lord, I don't want to lord over. But if you have a highlighter, highlight the last part of verse 9 and to the middle of verse 10 when it says, But God was with him. This is about Joseph. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom. Highlight that. And don't just highlight that. Engrave it on your heart. Engrave it on your mind. Because God delivered Joseph. And you know what? God's deliverance very often, more often than not, requires patience. Joseph had to endure some hardships. Can you imagine Joseph? Hey, guys, I had a dream. Oh, he's just a dreamer. This is our baby brother. He's kind of dorky. He can't work, you know. He, you know, We're the buff guys. We're the strong guys. We go out and do the labor. We're the blue collar. Okay, Joseph, what is your dream? And then he tells him, I had a dream that you were bowing down to me. What? Oh, you're such a fool. What are you talking about? We're never going to bow down to you. And then the dad comes in. Jacob. And then, you know, all of a sudden, okay, guys, calm down, calm down. I know Joseph's, you know, he's kind of a dreamer. You guys are the buff guys. You guys are the blue collar. Okay, what's the beef? Hey, Dad, I had a dream. All right, what's the dream? The brothers, they all my brothers, they were bowing before me. Okay, that's nonsense. Hey, Dad, even you were bowing before me. Whoa, this is crazy talk. And then look what happened in the life of Joseph. They wanted to kill him. His own brothers wanted to kill him. But one of the brothers says, no, 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 no. Don't kill him. But let's just sell him into slavery. It's kind of, I shouldn't say it's kind of sad. It's very sad. Because they threw Joseph in a ditch. They threw them like in this little cave in the ground. And they had a little campfire there. 
and they started talking. Hey, what are we going to do with Joseph? Imagine, you know, you hear your brothers, you hear your siblings. Number one, they threw you into the, 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 the cave and you're like, you know, there's that aspect of it. Maybe it hurt when you fell on the ground. And you're thinking like, oh, they're, you know, they're just, they're teasing me. And then you hear them laughing and joking. Oh, yeah, let's kill him. No, 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 let's sell him. And then a rope falls down and you're like, oh, finally, you climb up. You climb up, you're like, oh, okay, guys, you know, you're just kidding. And then you see this caravan. Like, what is this caravan? And you hear your brothers, your very siblings. Hey, they're selling you into slavery. You see what Joseph had to endure? How many times do you talk to people? I want deliverance. I got this host of troubles, host of tribulations. Look at this. My family's like this. My work is like this. My friends are like this. Woe is me. Woe is me. I'm not trying to belittle those things. But look at what Joseph had to endure. And the Lord delivered him. Look at what Joseph had to endure with patience. Oh, but you don't know the situation in my home. My family's like this. They say this. They're going to do this. You know, my work is whatever it is. Be patient. Trust in the Lord. You see how beautiful this great cloud of witnesses that we have before us. And you have young minds, young hearts that can soak this in. Like sponges soak this in. Like, wow, I want to be like Stephen too. Well, I want to be like Joseph too. We haven't got to some of the women in the Bible. But it's like, wow, I want to be like Zipporah too. I want to be like Ruth. I want to be like Deborah. All these beautiful people that the Lord has used. What in the world makes you think that he can't use you too? Despite and in spite of your situation. Despite and in spite of who you are today, right here and now. In spite and despite of who you were before you came to Christ. Look at Rahab, a prostitute, a former prostitute who believed in the Lord. She had a BC life and now she has an AD life. After, after death, the death of Jesus Christ and after her death as she carried her cross, metaphysically speaking. The same thing applies to you and to me. I don't care. You say, oh, you know what? Look at all I, what I did in my past. I did this. I did this. How can God use me? What do you mean? How can he? Look at all these people. God was with him, speaking about Joseph, and delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. And our fathers found no 
sustenance. No sustenance. You start to see a different picture start to emerge. Joseph's hardships, Joseph's afflictions and difficulties were all in preparation for a future task. Famine. What about your hardships? Your hardships today. What is it, these hardships, that in patience, just like Joseph, the Lord can use for a future? A future time when the Lord is working in your heart. Who is going to have faith? And who is going to have trust? And who is going to have obedience? And who is going to endure? So at a future time, the Lord is going to say, this is the guy, this is the girl that I've been pre pre uh, preparing for such a time as this. Whatever the situation is. You say, come on, that's so, that's too fanciful. I can't believe it. It's too hard to be true. I mean, it's so, it, it can't be true. It is true. You have to open your eyes of faith. Carnal eyes can't see these things. Carnal eyes, carnal ears can't understand these things. How the Lord took Joseph and used him. Joseph endured these hardships, the troubles. That's not to, that's not to belittle the hardships and troubles and say, Hey, Joseph, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. Very real pain that Joseph felt. But even in the pain to trust and love in the Lord. In preparation for the famine, what the Lord was doing inside of Joseph. Now, let's turn to Amos chapter 8. In Amos chapter 8. A little prophecy. A little prophecy that we're going to look at. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11, thus says the Lord through the mouth of brother Amos. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will send a famine on the land, just as there was a famine in Egypt and how the Lord prepared Joseph for sustenance in the time of famine. The Lord is saying, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of our Lord. It's a famine of the word of God. This is a prophecy of the last days. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east, they shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. It's a prophecy of the last days. Where is the word of the Lord? Where in the world can a person find the word of God? Maybe, like Joseph, the Lord is preparing you to be that source of sustenance. 
the same way he did with Joseph. This is a prophecy of the last days. It's a prophecy for the uh, encouragement for the last days remnant. It blows me away because applicationally, I, I hate, you know, I hate saying that word. It sounds too academic. But when you apply these things in your life, when we apply these things in our lives, the faith of Abraham, the trust that Abraham had unto the Lord, the obedience that Abraham had unto the Lord, the endurance that Joseph had, the love that he had of the Lord. All of a sudden you start to see how the Lord works. In some ways you start to be thankful for the hardships, thankful for the trials because of how the Lord has grown you. Famine is coming. Famine is coming, if not already here. People will search for the word of God. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but shall not find it. It's precursor to judgment, which is coming. What are you talking about, Jay? I can't believe that. <clears throat> it is written. It is written. These are, the beauty of prophecy, there are some scary, scary aspects of prophecy. But the beauty of these last days prophecies is such a strong encouragement to the remnant. These are things that Brother Stephen, filled with the Holy Spirit, is speaking to the so-called learned class, and he's schooling them like crazy. He continues in Acts chapter 7, verse 12. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. Now, these mockers, even Jacob, when he was like, I, I'm never going to bow down to you, son. The brothers, I'm never going to bow down to you, brother. These former mockers have been humbled through this famine. And now they know, hey, if we want to eat, if I need food for my homes, food for my families, I need to go to Egypt. Because I heard there's this guy. His name is Zafnath Panea. And he's so wise, he's placed second in command. I don't even see Pharaoh because Pharaoh is, has appointed him. The one I can see is Zafnath Panea. He's so wise and the, all the lands go to him for sustenance. So let's pack up our bags. Let's caravan up to Egypt. And let's go get some grain. Let's go get some food. In verse 12, But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. You know, it blows me away so much how the Lord works. And when you start to read scripture, you don't feel alone. In this world, the closer, the more intimate you are with the Lord in the world, you'll feel very, very alone. Very, very alone. 
But then you start reading the Bible and you're like, man, I'm not alone. You start to read the Bible and you're like, wow, you know, Joseph, wow, all these people, Stephen. And you start to see a different family tree. The family of Abraham. The promise that the Lord gave through Abraham. Look, Abraham, look up in the sky. Look at these the stars you see in the sky. Your descendants are going to be even more. Who had a barren wife and he was childless. And the Lord is telling him, your descendants are going to be more than the stars. You see, it's like, it's so powerful. And Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. And, and so what happened, you start to see God was known in Egypt and Israel. Remember, the Pharaoh honored the Lord through Joseph. And Egypt and Israel were blessed. God provided for them. The famine came and the famine was no big deal. I, I mean, I shouldn't say it was no big deal. It was a big deal, but there was sustenance that was provided for the people because of the obedience of Joseph. But then at the same time, the people started to forget. The people forgot. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him. 75 people. Or seven, yeah, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and he died. He and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem. And laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Remember, Abraham has the deed, the title deed Abraham has. I say that specifically for a reason. Because a lot of times you'll hear people say, oh, this is, this is Palestine. There's going to be a lot of beef when the Lord comes back. When the Lord returns. And I believe personally that the Lord is going to say, hey, remember, Abraham has the title deed. Abraham has the title deed. In verse 17, but when the time of the promise, this is very interesting. He says, when the time of the promise drew near, which had sworn to which which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. You see, God's promises are on his timetable. The time of the promise. Because remember, the Lord told Abraham when Abraham had nothing, no money, no seed money to go. The Lord, he trusted in the Lord. He says, this land is going to be for your, you and your descendants after you. And then in verse 6, when he says, But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. All of a sudden, look what happens here in verse 17. The time of the promise. You see, the Lord is preparing his generation. The Lord is preparing his people throughout the, throughout the ages. The same way he prepares you. Oh, I don't like my hardships. I don't like this. I don't like this. It's not to say, it's not to look at the hardship and say, I hate it. Even though I'm with you, I hate the hardships. It's to say, I hate the hardships, but I love the God who's delivering me through it. I love the God who's 
delivering me. I love the God who's going to deliver me. I love the God who is doing a work inside of me. So yeah, when you have hardships, I say, take your eyes off the hardships and keep your eyes on the Lord. Your body can be in the world. Your body, your very essence of your body can be in the world, can be in the belly of a whale, can be thrown in prison, can be anywhere. But your mind, your heart is right on the mountain with the Lord in the clouds, just like Moses. You see Stephen, brother Stephen, this beautiful, beautiful man. He's educating the learned class of deep, deep, deep spiritual things. I mean, the things that are, he's saying, they're not captured in the Old Testament account. They're, they're, they're not there. He's illuminating the Old Testament by a firsthand account. The Holy Spirit of our Lord. And the time of the promise, he says in verse 17, when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. God, he started to become forgotten. The people didn't retain God in their minds, in their hearts. People didn't retain the teachings of the Lord. People started to forget the hand of God. It happened in Egypt first, and then it happened in Israel. God became a forgotten thing. I hate, not to refer to God as a thing, but God became forgotten. The same way inside the church, God becomes forgotten. The exact same way. You look at a 15-year-old in the church maybe he or she goes on a mission trip wow praise the lord they come back how was it oh i'm so glad that you had a good time praise be to the lord the lord used you the lord showed you all these things and the young boy young girl they're rejoicing with you and it's like wow i see the hand of god i left what i know i left my world and i went over here and i helped these people i did this i did that and the lord did this the lord did that and it's like wow i see the hand of god young 15 year old and then something happens in the course of time they go out into the world they leave that umbrella of mama and papa they leave that umbrella and they go into the world they go into the world and something happens. Because they have not been thoroughly equipped, because it, it's, it's hardcore warfare. They leave the umbrella of mama and papa and they become casualties. Spiritual casualties. Because they've never been taught to hold the shield. They've never been taught to yield the sword. They've never been taught to have the full armor of God. And then they go out and party with their friends. Wow, I like this. They've been holding in virtue, in honor of the Lord. They've been holding on to their purity. Then they go out and party. 
oh yeah, this guy says he loves me, this girl says she loves me, I'm gonna go out and do this, and then all of a sudden their virtue is gone. Their purity is gone. Partner number one, partner number two, partner number three, partner number four, drug number one, drug number two, alcohol number one, alcohol number two, and all of a sudden, God becomes forgotten. Ten years later, after that 15-year-old, you see that, wow, you know, I miss you. How have you been? How's your walk with the Lord? The Lord, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm enlightened. I don't, I don't believe in those fairy tales. I have a good time over here. My boyfriend's over here. My girlfriend's over here. I have a good time. I'm not going to believe in your fairy tales. Talk to atheists. You hear how atheists talk? Especially the old ones. Some who were former pastors. And they walked away from the faith. God has become forgotten. And just what happens here, what we have captured in Holy Scripture, what Brother Stephen is illuminating to the learned class. The people grew and multiplied in Egypt in verse 18 till another king arose who did not know Joseph. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies or cast out their babies so they might not live. Kill the boys. A mother gives birth. Okay, it's a girl. Here's your girl. Gives birth. It's a boy. Kill him. Abortion. The killing of babies. It's not a new thing. You know, we have abortion is rampant today. It's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. Pharaoh did it. Pharaoh gave, gave the command. Herod gave the command. <clears throat> this is what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Because people didn't retain God in their heart, nor were they thankful, God gave them over to a debased mind. God, they gave them over to corruption. It's, it's the wrath of God that falls on individuals. All you have to do is read Romans chapter 1. A sad, sad, sad chapter. It kills me. That's what happens when God becomes forgotten. People don't like to hear these words. But it's true. Oh, I don't like to hear those words. So, you know what? I'm not going to hear those words. I know you speak about this chapter, but I'm not going to hear that. I'm going to go over here now so that I can do these things and partake of these things. So that I can be sexually active. I can do my drugs. I can do all these things with no condemnation, no judgment. I, I want to go to a church that's a judge, judgment-free zone. And it's not about judgment to the point of, you know... You know, hey, you're gonna, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna burn in hell. Is to say, hey, take the plank out of your own eye and feed the sheep and provide for the sheep. Look what happens here. What Stephen, how he illuminates these things in verse twenty. At this time, Moses was born and was well pleasing to God. I love this verse so much. 
It's a hardcore, uh, like, uh, for parents. How little ones can be well-pleasing to God. And it literally translates like in a behavioral, behavioral manner. I'll tell you one of my pet peeves. Uh, present company excluded. But how parents often use youth as an excuse for bad child rearing. You see a kid, they go out and do something crazy. Oh, he's just a kid. She's just a kid. She doesn't know any better. He doesn't know any better. And a lot of times it's an excuse for bad parenting, for bad child rearing. And here you see in the life of Moses in verse 20, Moses was born and he was well-pleasing to God. Translates, you know, behaviorally. A little, little, little tiny baby who is well-pleasing to the Lord. You see, God's favor was on him. He was well-pleasing to God and was brought up in his father's house for three months. He's a fresh baby. A fresh, fresh baby. You know, I have to say this too. Every parent... Every single parent has to let go at some point, has to let go of their child at some point. If they don't, the parent causes serious damage to their child. You say, what do you mean? I don't get it. Have you ever seen a mom or a dad baby a 30-year-old child? Number one, I think it's disgusting. But number two, you see the harm that it causes in these young lives. A 25-year-old. A 23-year-old. A 30-year-old. A 40-year-old. Who could go out and just like the Lord called to Abraham. Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. It's almost, it's like a step out, like in a beautiful, great adventure. A step of faith. When the Lord calls out, hey, leave mommy and daddy, leave the uncles, leave the aunts, leave grandma, leave grandpa, leave all these people, leave your cousins. And I'm going to show you something. And it's the great, beautiful challenge. It's not just, hey, I'm going to show you something. And the Lord is saying, I'm going to reveal more of me to you. And faith and trust and love grow. Parents can be an assister of these things. Parents can be a great aid in these things. Or... Parents can be the root cause of arrested spiritual development. When you see a parent that babies their 30-year-old. A mom and dad that baby their 20-year-old. Their 40-year-old who's never left home. Never left the umbrella of mommy and daddy. 
They were born at one point in their life, but you know, the doctors came to cut the umbilical cord and the mom said, no, don't cut the umbilical cord. And then the child grows up and says, wow, I love this umbilical cord. What happens when sustenance comes from the Lord? Every single parent has to let go of their child at some point or risk terrible, terrible damage. Some parents let go of their kids at 20 years. Some parents let go of their kids after 18 years. Here you see Moses' mom and dad, they let go after three months. Some parents let go of their kids after several weeks after conception. But you entrust them to the Lord. I love that word entrust. Because legally speaking, it's like entrust. A trust account. I don't mean to speak of, you know, kids as mere place account value on them in the worldly sense. But in a legal sense, what happens when a child is in trust? Who is the one that has oversight of that trust? But parents do the exact same things to their little ones. I'm just the caretaker of this young little boy. I'm just the caretaker of this young little girl. But you know what? He's in trust. She's in trust to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. At some point in time, I have to let go. And commit him to the Lord. He's already committed to the Lord. She's already committed to the Lord. But at some point you have to let go. Look what happens here in verse 21. But when he was set out. So they let him go after three months. I can't imagine how difficult that must have been for the mama. Beautiful Jacobin. But when he was let out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. You know what's so beautiful about this? When you know you see how the, all these babies were being killed, but there was favor on Moses. Moses was well-pleasing to God as a young little baby, fresh baby, three months. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 9, in the favor of our Lord, Jacobed, the mom of Moses, was hired as a wet nurse. She was a paid wet nurse. She was able to take care of her little boy. You see God's favor? You talk to parents, you know, oh, my child does this, my child does that. Okay, how old is he? 22. <sighs> your daughter, you know, you cry over your daughter. How old is she? 28. I argue with my daughter. I argue with my son all the time. We butt heads all the time. Okay. Your kids that are over 20, why are they still under your roof? Why are they still under your roof? That's so mean. How could you say that? You got to cut the umbilical cord. That's when the rubber hits the road. Because that's the testing ground of all these years, these 18 years, these 20 years, these 22 years, these 25 years, these 28 years, years of instilling these values, 
that emanate from scripture, if they emanate from scripture, that's when you're able to see the fruit and taste the fruit. If it's of the Lord or if it's not. If it's not, <laughs> you made some bad choices, brother. You made some bad choices, sister. If it is, rejoice. Rejoice. You say, I don't like how you put it that way. Well, you see bad parenting in the Old Testament. All you got to do is look at Phineas. Good old Phineas. Son of Eli. Wicked. Yeah, he had the title. Yeah, his dad was high priest. But he was wicked beyond belief. You see these things? We haven't even touched this. This is the spirit of the Lord speaking through Stephen. And he's illuminating Holy Scripture. All these things that he's teaching. And it's such a trip because it's like, well, you read the Old Testament and it's like, okay, you know, I read this. I read this. Okay, you read the account in Genesis 12. You read the account in, in, in Exodus 2. You read the account in, you know, Genesis about Joseph and his family. And then you read this little dissertation from Stephen. And it's like, it illuminates what we read in the Old Testament. What we study in the Old Testament. Same God. God never changes. So many people say, oh, I like the God of the New Testament and I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Brother Stephen, a believer in the New Testament, a believer in accordance with the New Covenant, is shedding light on the believers in the Old Covenant. The, those who were obedient in the Old Covenant. You see, the New Testament interprets the Old, the Old interprets the New, and these are things that the learned class are blind and deaf to. But you see a picture of God's hand throughout generation upon generation upon generation upon generation. So we'll end our study here and pick up next week, Lord willing, in verse 22.